Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to join you all. Look forward to our dialogue. I became the, the Dean of the Business School here over two years ago, and my arrival coincided with a change in the way business schools were being accredited. Um, the accreditation body introduced a new standard that asked business schools to evidence societal impact. And that really resonated with me and with many others because um, for more than a decade, I had been working along with many other social responsibility executives and many other companies seeking to improve both social and environmental practices within these firms. And I think the change in the way business schools are being asked to operate speaks to the way businesses are being asked to operate both in terms of financial performance, but also non-financial performance. So um, I'm very glad that the timing coincided because it really spoke to what I believe is a, a major business trend. And um, it also speaks to my experiences, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., as businesses continue to have to 
answer to heightened expectations that their employees, their customers, and their communities have about how they operate and what their externalities are. This was an easy concept for me because this kind of behavior was modeled by Larry his entire career at principle. Um, businesses are certainly, profits are important. That's a given. But we feel that businesses have an obligation to give back to whatever community they're in, which is what principle obviously has done in Des Moines across the country, across the world. It's a wonderful model. I was always proud to be associated with it. And young people today want that idea. I mean, doing well and doing good are not mutually exclusive. And so the idea that Drake wants to put this program into place just simply spoke to what's important to me. I I really want to help these students live out their dreams. And um, the bottom line is we have two grandchildren. And I want to leave them a better world. I want to leave everyone's grandchildren a better world. So we're pleased we can help. But yeah, um, first, thanks everybody for, for joining in. Um, really appreciate your interest. Um, well, obviously, Drake uh, has, there's two things that have been important, three things that have been important in my life. First, I married Kathy. Two, I went to Drake. And three, uh, I found my way to, to this company called Banker's Life Company in 1971. And little would I have known, you know, what the next kind of 45 years was, was going to do. Um, and let me also say that. Um, you know, as we talk about, you know, business being a force for good, which is which is really where we're trying to to go. And that was a narrative that that Kathy and I were so excited about and happy to invest in. But that concept has been alive to principle for for a very, very long time. Now, I see people like, you know, Connie and others on the call today. Uh, if you go back and look at other CEOs at principle and you look at people like Bob Hauser, John Taylor, Dave Hurd. You know, the, Barry Griswell, the list, the list kind of goes on and on and on. So this isn't something that, you know, Larry invented or created. This is something that I was simply the next one, as Dave Hurd used to say, in the relay race. So I had my turn to carry the baton, and now it's Dan Houston, and hopefully uh, it, it, it continues going on from there. But Drake has always had a special place uh, in my heart, obviously. Uh, it's a very unique place. We can maybe probe that a little bit further, like what makes Drake unique? There are things that are unique, but but I'll I'll save that uh, sermon maybe for, for later. Uh, and then finally, I would say, Julie, I believe in the president of the university, Marty Martin, and I believe in Alejandro, and they are the right leaders at the right time for this kind of a change in how business schools educate their students. They are the right people. They are change makers. They've had careers that are outside of academia. 
when we went and looked for Marty, that was actually one of the things that we were hoping we could find. You know, for those that may not be familiar with Marty's background, he had about 20 years in the military. And then after that, he started his career in academia, and he's hit every rung of the academic ladder, all the way from adjunct professor to, to dean of a school. And the only thing he hadn't done was, was a president. And so now he's checked that box as well. So, so I believe in this place. I believe in, these, in the leadership. Kathy and I have been very blessed. And now it's our turn to make that investment and try to, try to you know, help that next generation have the opportunity to get where, where we've had the opportunity. So. I would say that it, the real opportunity is an experiential learning. That is giving students the opportunity to experience a business challenge so that they can grapple with the um, nuance. Um, and certainly that makes theory more relevant because you can apply it. And we seek to do that, but clearly that is an emerging opportunity going beyond the traditional internships, but really introducing um, more business challenge, whether it's a competition, a friendly competition with another business school, whether it's having our local businesses come into our classrooms and present opportunities for students to solve problems. Um, that's where the um, opportunity really lies is for learning in context. And I would just add, Julie, um, again, I, I was just extremely lucky, but, but uh, I had what today we call an experiential learning because I had the opportunity, having won a, a scholarship when I was a junior here at Drake, uh, I had the opportunity to win a scholarship to, uh, to Banker's Life Company, which included half the tuition and part-time employment. So now it, it turns out that this was the second year that they were going to award the scholarship, and it turns out I was the only one who applied. So I, 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 I won the lottery early in my career. And there's no question that my what I learned and what I saw in my junior and senior year is working about 30 hours a week down at Bank of Life Company is what gave me you know, a real head start when it came to, to my career. So uh, I, I'm a real world example of what experiential learning is all about.
Sure. Well, sure. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. Be happy to start. Others can, can add, but um, uh, I, I am in total agreement with everything you said, Alicia. I mean, I'm in total agreement. And I obviously, because I've been retired since 2016, I can't speak to what uh, big business is doing today, but I, I, can, I can give you real world examples of what we did during my time. And my time was also a very difficult time from 2008 to 2015. And I can assure you that I spent a very significant amount of time um, both before the Iowa legislative session started and during the time of the Iowa legislative session to make sure that every one of those people up there knew exactly what our priorities were and also what the priorities of the Iowa Business Council were. Um, I would say that generally, though, it is true that the hard conversations are done behind closed doors, not necessarily in the open. So don't necessarily misread the fact that there's not a big, bold statement out there as suggesting that somehow big business or, or the larger corporations in Iowa or the Iowa Business Council is okay with this. I, I think that would be that would be an overreach. Um, so that I guess that would be my you know be my response. But there there has always been a very active voice from the Iowa Business Council and the larger corporations to the Iowa Legislature. I can assure you they are not silent on this point. But again, most of that work goes on behind the scenes. I mean, I'm I'm happy to make a few comments, and then Alejandro or Kathy may, may you know want to add. Um, so, so I think Chuck, in response to your notion about you know retail, I fundamentally believe that you know a strong retail base is going to follow the population in that particular locality, right? So, so if you if you're thinking about how, how do we maintain a strong retail sector. Then I think you first ask yourself, you know, how do we maintain a, 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 a vibrant and growing population within our locality? Now, uh, if you drive around, and both Kathy and I were raised in small town Iowa, 
So if you drive around small town Iowa and you find a, a, an area, a locality that uh, seems to have a fairly stable population um, and thus hopefully a more stable retail sector, I can almost guarantee you that if you drive around that locality, or that town, what you're going to find is you're going to find some sort of manufacturing enterprise that sort of forms the foundation for that particular locality. Uh, and we see them all over, uh, you know, rural Iowa. Um, but if you walk into those businesses, and Chuck, you know this as well or better than I do, you walk into those businesses and you say, I'd like to meet whoever it is that runs this manufacturing operation, they're going to look just like me, Right. They're going to probably be in their 70s. They're going to have white hair, and they're going to have been doing this for 50 years. And, and so many of these smaller towns in Iowa that actually do have a manufacturing base are at risk because if that owner you know, decides they can just no longer make that enterprise function, they'll sell it quite often to buyers from not only out of town, out of state, and likely you'll see the, the employment start to erode. So as an example of what businesses tried to do, when I was at Principal, we worked with the Iowa Economic Development Authority. Principal has a very large ESOP practice. ESOP stand for Employee Stock Ownership Programs. These are programs where the ownership of, of an entity is passed from the current private owner over to employees over a period of time, right? It's a very powerful concept, um, and and principal has a very big ESOP practice, one of the one of the largest of anyone in the country. You know, most people don't know that, nor should they probably know that. So we worked with the Iowa Economic Development Authority to put on seminars all throughout the state, seminars for small business owners on options that they would have for their business if they're getting to the point where they were thinking that they probably needed to wind up their ownership of that of that entity. So that that's just one example, but you know, a powerful example. But I think protecting retail really goes back to trying to have a a, a solid population in that in that locality and you have to go find the two or three sort of centers of economic viability that make that particular locality run. So I I hope that makes some sense. Okay. Um, I've been to Chile. I've been there. <laughs> Me too. Where's your hometown? Parnell, Iowa. Yeah, East Iowa. Yeah, my my hometown is uh, near Parnell, or a suburb of Parnell, <laughs> uh, called called Williamsburg. But but I always say, Chuck, when they say, "Oh yeah, the outlet mall," and I say, "Well." Actually, I'm pre-outlet mall. In fact, I'm pre-interstate. So, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Our world. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to. Oh, I just wanted to, to respond to. Yeah, I just wanted to respond to Chuck's question. Um, we at Drake had had this opportunity again to the experiential learning to um, address at least in one town in. Uh, Manson, Iowa, um, a challenge when the grocery chain, I think it was Heartland, pulled out and there was no grocery store. And our um, uh, entrepreneurial 
uh, law clinic team, I'm going to get this right, the uh, entrepreneurial and transactional clinic took law students in the direction of a, a law professor and worked with the town to come up with a unique nonprofit model to open a grocery store owned and run by the community. And it helped create this um, pod for, for Manson, which was really at, at risk of becoming, you know, what we call a food desert. And um, it was a great opportunity for the students to learn how do you consult with a local community? How do you assess their needs? Where do you find resources? And ultimately, can you legally structure an entity that would uh, benefit the community? So just one small example, but nonetheless, um, it did bring back fresh produce, fresh meat, the kind of things that you would want in a grocery store in a, in a community that really suffered as a result of, of a change. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, so, so, so again, you know, um, what I've always tried to do, um, and I see people like Terry Slinda here and that, who, who we've been neighbors for a long time, but, you know, I've, I've always tried to, um, I've always, I've always tried to make sure that I, I have good, that I, that I figure out like who's smart, et cetera, et cetera. Most good leaders, if you ask them kind of like, you know, what, what's your, what, what skill is important for a good leader? Many of them will essentially say, well, you got to hire good people and then you got to let them do the work, you know? And so that's, that's essentially what I tried to do. So in terms of, of, uh, you know, global expansion, which I'm happy to say I was a big part of, but I was not necessarily the, you know, the only person doing this, although, Dave Hurd and Dave Drury, or uh, Dave uh, Drury and Greg Griswold asked me to lead this effort starting in about 1999. 1999. At that point in my life, I didn't even have a passport. I didn't even have a passport. And 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 Drury and Griswold said, "Well, we want you to go figure out, you know, where in the world are good markets for our retirement business." Well, what I learned is I've got to go find really smart people. And I got to get them to work with me and then I got to let them, you know, do their thing. And so that's what happened. We brought in an executive from AIG uh, who was very, uh, very, very worldly guy. And I hitched my shoulder to his shoulder and we started a five year process of going everywhere we could and exploring, you know, opportunities. And that's kind of what created what is Principles Global Footprint today. So there's not a magic formula and it isn't my brain that does it all it's trying to align myself with people who really have the expertise to get the job done
Uh, I, I have a short answer to that one, Julie, and then I'll turn it over to others. But the reason that that narrative is going to survive is because it's the narrative that aligns with where incoming students are today. Um, it's that straightforward, and I think it's that simple. I mean, it's the narrative that aligns with what, what business school students are feeling today. And, and we have the opportunity to simply reinforce that and indicate that Drake is a place and the business school uh, is a place where you can uh, have business be a force for good. So it's, it's very straightforward and simple from my perspective. And it's, cert and it's certainly something that is not just limited to our country. Um, having the chance to speak to students in other countries, this is a, a global phenomenon. Um, Young people want to have a career that aligns with their values. They are very, very observant of what's taking place and what the future holds for them to, to Kathy's point. And I think they, they are empowered to ask the questions that maybe previous generations were not ready to uh, in, their, in their journey. And I think that's, that is what's going to drive this. Um, clearly, the largest generational wealth transfer in history has taken place, is taking place. Younger investors are getting into the market and they're asking the same questions and they have assets. So um, you've got the investor community driving this. You've got these talented people who are coming into the marketplace that are asking for this. And increasingly, we're making decisions about our own purchases and our own uh, business relationships around this. So um, it is definitely something that a number of different um, forces are pressing upon our system to operate in this way. What? 
the question is, what was the question, Terry? I didn't. Just how navigating upper echelon as we went through the company. That's really the question. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how did you deal with it? How did, well, you... how did I deal with that? Yeah. Oh, um, that was easy uh, because Larry just let me be me and he let the children be who they are. And we never had to be anything other than ourselves. And so that makes everything easier. And um, we raised three wonderful children. And Terry was the one who taught them how to run a snowblower because Larry wouldn't buy them one. So <laughs> we, just, we have great memories. Yeah. Great memories. Thanks, Terry. Sure. I mean, you, you, yeah, I would say that that was the essence of it. I mean, so, for example, whether it's the Greater Des Moines Partnership, whether it's the Iowa Business Council, whether it's Principal Financial Group, whatever, I mean, they're in regular sort of dialogue. And as I said, Laura, starting even before the session, talking about what their priorities are and and, and probably the one common priority that cuts across everything is the ability to attract and retain a talented workforce. And, 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 and again, I'm expressing my own view here. I'm not, I mean, again, I've been retired since 2016, but there can be, there can be little to no question that a lot of the things that we see getting discussed and in, in some, many cases now getting passed are things that are going to hinder the ability to attract and retain a talented workforce, period, end of statement.
Well, um, so I'll make, I'll make a few comments, Laura. And, and, and again, you know, we're, we're aligned on this, right? But, but you know, this discussion today was about, was about the college business and the new narrative that Drake is trying to create for the college of business. I mean, if we want to have a separate discussion about how should big businesses get involved in the political process, I think we can, you know, we, we, can, we can set up a separate time to do that. My only point, again, I'm, I am not in the middle, right? I'm, I'm retired. Right. I can only give you the experiences from when I was involved. And I can tell you from those experiences, there was daily, multi times daily communication going on. There's lots more to government relations work than just whether you register or lobby against a particular bill or not. So I, I just would encourage not to misread. But let me also say, because I say this as a private citizen, I am disappointed. I am disappointed that there hasn't been a more visible and aggressive pushback, but I but I would want the conclusion to go so far as to say that business is silent. I, 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 that's the only point that I'm trying to make, Laura. Yeah. Right. Sure. It starts with giving them leadership opportunities while they're here with us. And for many of our most high-performing students, they take that on, whether it's leadership of a business organization on campus, um, whether it's the leadership of our Latino student group, whether it's engaging the community as an advisory board member with a nonprofit, giving them the opportunity to learn how to lead, how to understand the nuance between um, advocacy, activism, and lobbying, and also to understand the difference between perception management and changes in practices and policies. So there is certainly curriculum to teach the information that we all know, which is if you can't have access to 100% of the talent, you're not going to be competitive, but more importantly, the opportunity to be leaders in co-curricular and extracurricular activities. So they're prepared when they enter the marketplace to deal with these expectations that go way beyond the technical expertise, but goes towards the skills of empathy, understanding, and action.
certainly students are looking for a place that is welcoming, that is inclusive, um, that aligns with their values. So the questions that we get from undergraduate students as, as well as their families and supporters are around whether the environment that we offer them is one that's going to be welcoming. And um, we believe on Drake's campus and in our community here, we can offer that. Certainly, they are going to be asking questions deeper than um, maybe they have in the past. They're going to look for evidence of um, support services that we can offer them. We have enhanced many of our um, student life and counseling services in order to be able to deliver on those expectations and questions. Um, I think it could have an influence on the decisions that they make, but each one of our um, higher ed institutions faces challenges that are some related to what's taking place in the environment, but also what's related to these young adults who are arriving and um, many of them with a unique experience of having recently gone through the pandemic. And so there, there's a number of questions that will affect enrollment. Um, while, like you said, it isn't limited to one particular aspect, I, I do think questions around the nature of the environment, the opportunity that they'll have to be their full selves and, and be um, comfortable in that uh, will increase in importance in decisions that prospective students make. Barry, I think, um, number one, that that's something that's cyclical. Right now, if you talk to many people in business schools and in business in general, you don't hear the word offshoring. You hear nearshoring and friendshoring um, because of many factors. So part of it is the cycle of business. But probably more important is what you're talking about, which is the what in the past was called business ethics, which now 
um, you may still hear people talk about, but this idea of how do we ensure that all aspects of a decision are considered and not just the narrow profitability aspect of it. This ability to, not that you're going to make a decision on any one factor, but the ability to consider all factors, be empathetic to all perspectives and move forward. Um, that is something that's emerging. As I mentioned earlier in my opening comments, um, business schools did not have to evidence this type of teaching or learning in their accreditation process until these new standards were introduced in 2020. So we're early in this journey. Certainly there have been some great professors and great um, research done in the area of business ethics, this idea that embedded within a business school curriculum and education is the need to evidence that you're considering the externalities of globalization as one aspect of societal impact fairly new. So um, certainly part of our mission here at the Zimbabwe College of Business is to lift up that consideration when students present those cases. I had a chance to review the, the capstone requirements um, for several of our disciplines. And in fact, embedded in the expectations are that students have considered all stakeholders and not just looking at the narrow band of investors or um, financial performance analysis. From my perspective, it's accelerating what's underway um, with the significant investment of financial capital, reputational capital, um, intellectual capital that the Kathy and Larry bring. We can accelerate what we believe needs to take place. There are many great things taking place around this higher purpose of business that just don't happen to take place in Iowa or even in the U.S. Um, in Europe, there are... If, so many companies and regulatory regimes that are farther on that journey than we are. Luckily, Larry's got a lot of exposure to that through his board service at Swiss Re. Um, developing markets can leapfrog because there's not this legacy of, hey, we've always done it this way to create solutions, whether it's to address climate change or other, other issues. Um, so we want to expose our students to that global experience having more resources to enable them to study abroad, to participate in internships abroad, to be able to engage with students at other institutions outside the U.S. will give them that bigger panorama so we don't get caught up thinking there's only one way and increasingly narrowly thinking um, based on some of the polarization you were talking about. So that's just one aspect, but there's many others that are underway that hopefully will, in the short term, prepare our students, but in the long term, position them to be those leaders that can help address um, some of the challenges you all have shared today.
Well, we've got a great admissions team that has quickly gone into action with all our prospective students to share with them the news and to talk about how they will benefit from the access to all the all the gifts that we have. Also, we use the social media platforms that most of those students are interacting with to provide evidence of the opportunity for students to be of service to their communities, to be leaders in organizations that I mentioned before, and to be recognized and rewarded for that um, social impact that they'll have. So we use our admissions team to help tell the story, our marketing communications team to help tell the story, and certainly they're part of the way that I talk to prospective students as I'm out now during this final push towards the traditional close of recruiting in May. We announced the gift in February, and we're still in the planning stages as to specifically where the donation will be directed, but it certainly signals support for student engagement around service, student engagement around leadership. It also signals to our faculty that they are going to be incentivized to direct their efforts towards issues within their disciplines that touch upon societal impact. And we know that there's opportunities to bring in experts to stage forums. As a matter of fact, we're, uh, we're holding a social responsible investing forum on March 31st here on campus, where we're going to bring in experts from the corporate sector, from the consulting community, and also from academia to talk about the issues around sustainable investing. So we have thought leaders lifting up a lot of this work and accelerating a lot of the work through the gift is the way we distinguish ourselves. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'm to share that um, we do have the Drake Business Clinic, which was launched last year uh, with the support of both uh, state funding and uh, family foundation grants. And it does offer um, members of the community who do want to come in for a, a pop-up experience that is a, a one-day workshop or a weekend workshop on a specific area that they may need help with. For example, cybersecurity may not be their area of expertise so they can come in and get that support so they can take that back to their small business. We also have these change maker scholarships that are available for students that want to have impact through entrepreneurism. And um, they're given the opportunity to work in that business clinic to get consulting skills as they help support um, small business owners or even uh, incubate their own ideas that they may have that they may want to launch while they're getting their business degree with us. So, 
Um, the Changemaker Scholar also has this added um, aspect that we ask these students to um, take their passion to make positive impact through business or nonprofit and live that through their service. But we also offer them the opportunity to, internship, uh, to have internships at startups and help grow their skills. So there are a couple of things that we're doing in the areas we're talking about, Kathleen, but certainly um, there are aspirations to do even more. There's, um, there's so many great certification programs for small businesses so they can evidence that they are positively impacting their customers, their employees, their communities, and the environment. Those certifications make them very attractive to investors. So there's some work that we envision ahead to um, help support these small businesses to get those needed certifications in their sectors or more broadly so they can access capital, which is what they'll need to move from single proprietor to their first employee to you know that growth that will drive them in, in the future. If, if, the, if it's okay, Julia, I just want to go back for a second to Bryce's, uh, just back to Bryce's question, uh, if I could just make a few comments on that. Um, and, and that is to say that, you know, we, we, we understandably all sort of live in our own world and we often don't, you know, have the opportunity uh, to understand, you know, more broadly what's going on. That's why I was so excited when I started to have the opportunity 25 years ago now to actually go experience other cultures and other countries and things like that. And it was just, uh, uh, you know, the proverbial drinking from the fire hose. But the point that I wanted to make relative to Bryce's question was that the rest of the world is in a different place than we are here in the U.S. with respect to corporate uh, social responsibility, sustainability, et cetera. Uh, and I have an opportunity as Alejandro uh, sort of briefly mentioned, I, I have the opportunity both through having seen this when I was active at principal and today I see it through, uh, among other things, uh, a board uh, a relationship that I have with a European company called named Swiss Re. And, and I can assure you that whether it's Asia, uh, Latin America or Europe, the rest of the world is well beyond where we are with respect to the responsibility of business to be engaged in corporate social responsibility and sustainability. And that then translates to great here at the, at the I still have trouble saying the Zimpleman College of Business, so please forgive me. But um, it, it goes to the opportunity that we have with Alejandro's leadership, with President Martin's leadership, to, 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 be, a, to be seen as a leader in business school education in the United States for picking up this mantle and running with it. And I know how slow sometimes academia can be to react to, you know, real world changes that are going on. But that's not Marty and that's not Alejandro. And so the thing that I'd say pulled Kathy and I across the line when it came to well, why would you make a gift of this, you know, magnitude? The answer was because it can change the narrative and change how business school students are educated. And if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know, you know, what could. And so that, that at the end of the day is really what this is about. So as Alejandro said, we haven't made all the decisions yet, but you'll see endowed professorships, you'll see more scholarships, you'll see the Center for Responsible Business become created, you'll see it be a voice for corporate social responsibility and sustainability. So these are all things, but they do take time. I mean, the reality is they do take time and we announced this in February, and so we're at the beginning of a journey that's gonna, that you know, it's gonna have to roll out over a couple of year period of time. But I hope that helps. And thank you for the question, Bryce. Yeah. 
Well, I, it is our wish for the you know the center for social responsibility to become a functioning, successful part of the College of Business. It, we're hoping we can help to grow the enrollment at the College of Business. We hope that we, by doing this, are offering students something different, that we're challenging them to think differently. And if we are able to do that, that's what we signed up for. And we're very grateful for having been given this opportunity, by the way. Very grateful. The one thing, the one thing, Julie, that one thing that Julie, that we often say again, I've been, I've been on the board of Drake uh, since 2006, and the one thing that we we say over and over and over again, and I truly believe this with all my heart and mind, is the world needs more Drake graduates. The world needs more Drake graduates, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Drake is a unique place because it combines professional preparation. So, in other words, if you think about you know a vertical, so whether it's accounting, actuarial science risk management, whatever it may be, they go deep into professional preparation. But as a liberal arts institution, we also we also educate people in the social sciences and in the liberal arts. And, and that's a very, very unique combination. There's very few business schools that even can talk to the College of Arts and Sciences, for example. And so that's that's the secret sauce that has made Drake, you know, very successful over its over its entire higher uh, existence. So, so you know, again, just, just kind of being able to to uh, churn out, if you will, uh, more Drake graduates is just something that's very motivating for us. So anyway, end of sermon. Well, as with most scholarship programs, they vary based on the specific major and whether it's merit-based or, or needs-based. But um, to give you an example, I've put together a, a group that I'm calling the Dean Team. And this is a cohort of high-performing students that would come in and want to engage fully at Drake. We certainly look for a, their typical uh, involvement above and beyond their, their high school education. But I've also asked them to submit two one-minute videos, one answering the question, name a person or event that changed your life, and tell us about a time when you demonstrate leadership at home, at school, in your church, in your community. And it's just been fascinating for me what's on the minds of 17-year-olds and what they're willing to share with, with me as, as someone they haven't really met yet. Um, but it also tells me some of their aspirations and um, it's really been a great way to acknowledge both the people in their lives. In many cases, it's, it's a member of their family, or many cases, it's somewhere they've volunteered. And what's powerful is that they really, they really value um, generations like the one I'm in. Um, and then they really are looking for us as, as change makers in their lives. Those that are selected are given a, a book scholarship, but they're also given access to, to meet with me on a regular basis, access to meet with employers, access to go to um, business functions where I have a chance to meet people like Larry and others so to get some of that mentoring. And um, those are some of the unique cohorts that we're building through scholarship programs. And um, you'll start seeing more of these, the these cohort-based models where um, we're putting together a small group of students, in some cases like the Dean team, from, told, from a, a range of majors. So they get to know all aspects of business. In other cases, 
specific to their discipline, but um, this idea of bringing together a smaller group of students to navigate their college experience driven by scholarship is a very powerful one, especially as they have not had a lot of practice in social engagement over the last several years as a result of the pandemic. And, and, and so if I could just take 30 seconds, um, you know, again, this is not the, uh, the, the first gift that, that Kath and I have made to Drake, but one of the gifts that we made in the past uh, today funds something called the Experiential Scholarships. Actually, it's called the Zimpleman Experiential Scholarships because I always put our name on it. Um, but but at Drake in January is what's called the J-term. It's called the J-term. And that's about a one-month period of time that students at Drake have an opportunity to look across an array of real-world experiences and then in the month of January, go and, 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 and have that experience. It might be building, helping build a school in Rwanda. It might be studying art in Venice. It might be going to Washington, D.C. to understand how our legislative processes work. And Kathy and I, through the experiential scholarships that we funded, um, when those students come back, Back, when those students come back, they are asked to write, you know, something that summarizes what they learned from their trip. I wish I had the ability to share those writings with all of you. It truly would bring tears to your eyes. This generation is so much more forward thinking than I was at that time that it's absolutely incredible. It changes their life. And I'm not kidding. It changes their life. And their eyes are open to an entire new world that they never had the opportunity to experience, just like I didn't either growing up in Williamsburg, Iowa. And so, so these experiences, they transform lives. And, and we're so happy that Drake supports this activity, we're so happy to invest in this activity because we know through the feedback we receive, it is changing lives every day. That is, uh, please share with us uh, a person or an event that changed your life. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.